dear to you has been hurt and harmed by another. Or an adult who was supposed to be protecting you, hurts you, abuses you. Your husband or your wife trade you for career. Or your husband or wife romances another person, a person outside of the marriage. Or your father chooses to leave the home. Or your mother chooses to leave the home. You're hurt. You're angry. And then forgiveness is no longer like a flower-filled garden. It's like a grey wasteland. And forgiving the other person is not delightful. It's excruciating. It feels bitter to have to forgive someone else. It feels demeaning, even humiliating. We like the idea of forgiving other people, but the reality is like drinking vinegar. We want to be forgiven, but forgiving others is the hardest thing that a person can do. And so very often, we don't forgive. The thought of the person who hurts us, angers us, and we imprison them in our minds. We hope that they suffer. We hope that others do to them what they have done to us. And the thought of them going to hell does not alarm us. On the contrary, we wish that upon them. And this unforgiveness poisons us. It poisons our minds. Wishing harm on another does not bring joy, does it? It does not bring a restful night's sleep. It infects and spoils everything. We're not free to be happy in holding another captive to unforgiveness. We chain ourselves into a dungeon of resentment and bitterness and sadness. But I want you to know this morning that unforgiveness does not just spoil our lives. It does. But that's the least of our problems when it comes to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, as we will see from the Lord's Prayer, locks us under the fury of God for our own sins and locks us outside of the kingdom of heaven. So let's look again at the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where he teaches us to address our Father, to address God as our Father in heaven. God is our Father. He loves us. He loves to give us good things. We're not praying to a reluctant God, but to a God who's generous and wants to be generous to us. But he is our heavenly Father, and so we give him reverence and honour and awe. Our Father in heaven. And what's the first thing we pray? God, uh, I'm having a hard time. I've got an exam this week. Please help me with that exam. What's the first thing we pray? God, my finances are under pressure. Help me. No. Hallowed be your name. That's the first thing we pray for is the name of God that it will be lifted up, glorified and hallowed. Thy kingdom come. We're praying for God's kingdom that he will be king and that he will rule over the lives of everyone. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. So we begin by praying for God, for our heavenly Father. The Christian is God-centered, not self-centered. He is at the center of our desires and our will. And then we come to our own needs. Give us this day our greeds. No, give us this day our needs, our daily bread. Give us what we need, Father, for today. And then forgive us our debts. We looked at that last week. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll look at that next week. But did you notice that the only one of the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer that has any kind of qualification to it is the one we're looking at today. Forgive us our debts as we also, it's emphatic, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And not only is the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer the only one that has a qualification to it, it is the only one that Jesus stops and comments on after he has taught us that prayer. Look there at verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But Jesus is not done. He's put that in a positive sense. Now he puts it in a negative sense. Just to make sure we are absolutely clear about this, he says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It's like Solomon's baby. Remember the baby brought to Solomon? And the two women who were fighting over this baby, Solomon said, cut it, cut it in two. Give them a piece of the child each. You can't separate something that's alive and living like a, an infant child. And, and Jesus says, you can't separate your prayer asking God for forgiveness from forgiving others. You can't sever those two things or you kill it. Our prayer for forgiveness is intimately, inextricably linked to our forgiving others, says our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus told a very powerful parable to drive this point home. And I want to take a little time to look at this parable in Matthew chapter 18. Please turn with me to Matthew 18. Where Jesus drives home the fact that our prayer for forgiveness cannot be separated from forgiving others. And I'm looking at verse 21. When Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And I reckon Peter, when he said, Jesus, should I forgive my brother or sister seven times? I reckon he was feeling generous. <laughs> In fact, 
other disciples notice how forgiving I am? I'm asking the Lord whether it's okay to forgive seven times. That's how, that's how generous a chap I am. That's how forgiving a person I am. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or the other way that could be translated is 70 times seven times. And some of you are thinking, well, which is it? Do I have to stop it at 77 or do I have to count up to four? And Jesus is saying, never stop forgiving. That's the whole point of what he's saying. Never stop forgiving. Stop counting. And as much as someone hurts you, you forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them. And you keep on forgiving them. You're not counting. You are a forgiving person. And he tells the story. It's a powerful story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents of gold was brought to him. And when Jesus said that, people would have have, uh, laughed at that. Because 10,000 talents of gold was literally more money than existed in the Mediterranean basin at the time. There wasn't even that much money in the known world at that time. I, I, I googled how much money is there in the world. And there's lots of different answers and someone suggests, well, if you, if you count up all the, the, the paper money and the coins of the world, it adds up to about $5 trillion, give or take a few billion either way, I suppose. But it's $5 trillion of money available in the world right now. And that's the kind of figure Jesus is using. There's a man who owed the king more money than there is in the world. If you work out the precise amount that Jesus is talking about, it's the equivalent of 250,000 years of wages. 250,000 years of wages. Since he was not able to pay, (laughs) the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And that was normal. They didn't have bankruptcy back in the day. If you couldn't pay, you had to sell yourself, your family into slavery, and you worked to pay off the debt. Now, how long is this guy going to have to be working? to pay off this debt. Well, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And again, I think there might have been a little laugh there. I will pay back in one lifetime 250,000 years of work. No, that's never going to happen. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The, the servant's master took pity on him. It's compassionate towards him. And he cancelled the debt and let him go. And that word cancel, it's exactly the same word as that one in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Same word. We could, in fact, pray to the Lord, cancel our debts. It's the same. Same word. But when that servant went out, His debt has just been (laughs) cancelled. He's free. The burden lifted. He's free. 
what does he do? He goes out and finds, doesn't bump into, but actually finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which would have equated to maybe three months' work. So he's been given, it's just, is this uh, something going wrong here? I can hear a kind of rubbing or the cable. What do I do to it? Take my jacket off. Okay. Let's try that. Okay. So, he has been forgiven 250,000 years of work. He goes and finds someone who owes him the equivalent of three months' work, and he grabs him and begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant does exactly what he had just done before the king. He fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. What's the difference though? Well, he could, he could actually pay it back. That was actually doable, unlike the debt that he had just been forgiven. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. Who's ever been called to the principal's office? Or That never happened, by the way. <laughs> so, but I reckon the man was, I reckon the man was, he knew what was going to happen to you. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It's exactly what you would have said, right, if you'd been the king. Shouldn't you have had mercy? I had such mercy on you. Shouldn't you have done the same? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owes. And Jesus now says to you, And to me, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. And he doesn't stop there. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. From your heart, he says. And so Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, and in his comment on the Lord's Prayer, and in this powerful parable binds together our forgiveness with our forgiving of others. He binds together God's forgiveness of us with our forgiveness of others. And he does this again and again. In Mark chapter 11, he said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge 
and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, in chapter 2, verse 13 of his letter, says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now, let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying that when we forgive others that we have somehow purchased God's forgiveness of us. He's not saying that. He's not saying that our forgiveness is like a a good work that God will be so pleased with that he will then turn around and forgive us our sins. He's not saying that. He is saying that salvation is only found in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is a realm of forgiveness. It's a realm of forgiveness. And so if you are are not forgiving others, you're not in that realm of forgiveness. You haven't brought yourself under the king of grace and mercy. If you are not forgiving, you will not be forgiven because you're not in the Father's wonderful, beautiful kingdom of forgiveness and mercy and grace. In fact, if you are not forgiving, you're not in God's kingdom. You're in the devil's kingdom. You're a captive of Satan. And I watched a documentary some time ago now, and they showed an African bushman catching a monkey. And I'm sure you've seen this. And the bushman bored a little hole into an ant mound. And by the way, when he was doing this, the monkey was actually watching him. The monkey's actually watching him do this. And he bores a little hole in an ant mound. He takes a handful of raisins. He puts it into the ant mound, walks away. The monkey's watching this, jumps down. What does he do? Puts his hand in the hole, grabs a fistful of raisins, and then the, the, the bushman walks back and the monkey, his hand is stuck because now it's a, a fat fist full of raisins and the, the, the bushman is coming back to get him and he's screaming, the monkey's screaming and carrying on and he will not let go of those raisins. As soon as he let them go, he'd be able to take his hand out and run free. He will not let go of them. The bushman simply comes up, puts a leash around its neck and drags it away. And unforgiveness does that. If you are holding on to unforgiveness, you're trapped. And Satan has got a leash around your neck. And Jesus is saying, you've got to let go. You've got to let go. And come into my kingdom where there's forgiveness and grace, and mercy. And Jesus teaches that Christians must be constantly forgiving. By the way, there would not be any teaching on forgiveness if we were not hurting each other in the first place, if we were not sinning against... That's the premise of Jesus' prayer. He he assumes that we are hurting one another, sinning against one another. And so the Christian 
is going to be constantly forgiving the other. There are two kinds of car owners, aren't there? There are, there are those who uh, something breaks on the car, what do they do? Immediately fix it. Take it to the dealer, fix it. There's a scratch on the car, they immediately polish it out. There's some dirt in the car, the vacuum cleaner comes out, they're vacuuming the dirt out. They are meticulous, keeping their car up. And then there are other car owners, <laughs> other kinds of car owners. And I remember my old Land Rover. And the, uh, the, the ignition failed. But I worked out how to start it with a spoon under the bonnet. So, uh, so I didn't have to get it fixed. And then the battery failed. And then I worked out, well, if I, if I parked it on a slight downhill, then I could just hop in and then just uh, roll the car down the hill and jump start it. And, 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 you know, I just let things go one after the other after the other. And you know what happens. Your car becomes a wreck. It's ruined. And Jesus is saying, we need to be meticulous. And we, we don't, we're not holding on to these these crimes against one another. We are forgiving them, wiping the slate clean, keeping good, healthy relationships, one with the other, forgiving. Husbands and wives, forgiving one another constantly. What does the wise husband say to his wife? The moment he wakes up, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, anyone getting married here? July the 11th, for example, or the 13th, sorry. Okay, Joe, you wake up. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm making light of something serious, but the, the wise husband knows that it's just a matter of time before he says something inconsiderate, something that he needs to... And he gets in early. He gets in early with the I'm sorry right at the start of the day. But the, 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 the serious point is that, that Christians are constantly... There's a posture of forgiveness. We're in this kingdom of forgiveness. And God is pouring out forgiveness on us all day, 24-7, and we are doing the same for others. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, in that reading that was given to us before, if your brother or sister sins, go and tell other people about it. Isn't that what he says? Is that what our Lord says? If your brother or sister sins, go to that person. Keep it private. It's a private matter. And point it out just between the two of you. By the way, I've always thought that Jesus was being quite unfair here. If your brother or sister sins against you, I've got to do. I've, I've got to go to that person. I've, it's painful to have to do that. They're, they're the one who sinned. Shouldn't they wake up to themselves and come to me? Jesus says, no, if you are conscious that your brother or sister has sinned, you go to them. You do that hard and horrible thing and you have that hard conversation in private and then pray that there will be confession Repentance, forgiveness, it's all done. It's all over. You've won your brother. You've won your sister. If they won't listen, take two or three others. And we're still keeping it mostly private. 
And if they still won't listen, then it comes to the church. But Jesus teaches us how to deal with sin, one against the other. And, and, and I pray that this is going on all the time in our church. I hope that this is happening all the time. Because if this isn't happening, then either there is uh, uh, gossip and, you, and you're talking to others about it or you're holding on to resentment. And I, I pray that you are constantly having these hard conversations with each other, seeking forgiveness, reconciliation. And what's the purpose of it? To win your brother or sister over. Not to hurt them, not to, show, not to put them in their place, but to win them. Restoration is what it's all about. Who do you need to forgive? Have, have you found out that, the, that that friend is talking about you behind your back? A business partner who has done the wrong thing. That, that person who hurt someone that you loved. That person who should have been looking after you has, has hurt you. The husband or wife who's betrayed you, betrayed your trust. The father who chose to leave you, the mother who chose to leave you. These are painful things. And our Lord Jesus says, just stop for a moment. Are you in God's kingdom? Are you in God's kingdom? But don't you know what he has forgiven you? Don't you know that you have offended the majesty of the all-holy God your creator, the king of the universe, and he has forgiven you. An infinite price, an infinite debt has been forgiven. And when you know that, you can't help but to forgive the other. You can't help but want to let that go. And to forgive... The Bible means this. It means to let go of wanting that person uh, to be punished by yourself, to let go of revenge, in other words, personal revenge. Now, if someone has done something illegal, they should be punished for that. And the law should deal with that person. The state should deal with that person. But the Christian, at the same time, can forego personal revenge and a personal desire that that person be harmed. And the Christian can still, at the same time as wanting someone to face justice, can still at the same time want that person, person to find Christ, and to find eternal life in Christ. That's forgiveness, brothers and sisters. Forgoing revenge, wanting the best for the person who has hurt you. And this is the tremendous thing that your father has done for you. <laughs> 10,000 gold talents. 
more, that it, more money that's in the whole world. You've been forgiven that. And now we forgive others for their crimes against us. And when we do that, a great load is lifted, right? A great load is lifted off our shoulders. And I remember Dan Shepard telling me about his trip to the Himalayas. And he went to, I think he went to Everest Base Camp or something like that. And he talked about those Sherpas. And he talked about how there'd be a, a mighty load, a hundred kilogram loads. And he talked about how they'd crouch down and, and strap that load onto their shoulders and it would even strap across their head. And they'd, they'd rise up under this, 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 this terrible crushing load. And, and then they'd begin to walk step after step, kilometre after kilometre, all day. Now, can you imagine the relief of taking that load off at the end of the day? It must be a tremendous feeling. And our Lord is saying, you have to forgive. You've got to. If you're not forgiving others, then, then your prayer for forgiveness is not a real one. It's not a genuine one. If you're bringing yourself in the kingdom of God under the king of mercy and asking him for mercy, you can't help but give mercy to others. And when you do that, a tremendous crushing burden is taken off of our shoulders. And God's forgiveness comes. And that's what Jesus wants for us. And that's why he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's stop now and let's uh, take a minute or two of silence. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot more to say about forgiveness. I could have talked about rest, restoration of relationships today. I could have talked about reconciliation today. These things make the topic of forgiveness more complicated. But I believe I've been faithful to the word of Christ today in saying that we must forgive. We must. And so let's, let's come before him now and let's bring and let's pray to him. And if you have someone to forgive, people to forgive, there's no time to wait. And then our musicians will come up and lead us in song. Thank you.